Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today. Usually, I have one guest on the show, but today I'm privileged to have two. Velvet Chainsaw Consulting is known as the Justice League of Conferences, and because conferences are such an important part of an association's purpose and, honestly, their revenue stream, I've asked Dave and Sarah to join us today. So, Dave Lett, Sarah Michelle, I'm so happy to have you here as my guests. I'm going to ask you each to make a quick introduction, and then we will dive into the meat of our conversation today. Go ahead, Sarah. You go first. Okay. Hi. Well, I'm Sarah Michelle, and I'm uh, Vice President of Professional Connexity, which you can ask me what that means, Mary, if you don't know. Um, And I have been with Velvet Chainsaw for over seven years, and my role in the team is to work with our clients on how to deliver more community, more connection, more networking value, and also how to make uh, education more relevant and you know, really working with them to be more evidence-based with their education approach. Dave? My my name's Dave Lutz. I'm the managing director and founder of Velvet Chainsaw. We uh, started this about 14 years ago uh, and kind of uh, evolved into a niche of uh, focusing uh, with specializing on animating improvement projects. Uh, So that's pretty much all we do. And and Sarah's a professional speaker as well. And that's, uh, she does a lot of speaking for and training for our clients uh, and facilitating. Um, But prior to Velvet Chainsaw, I was 22 years at a company that's now known as Experian. Um, And a lot of my, uh, I think some of the questions that we're going to talk about today actually are what I went through when I was at Experian with hotel contracts and 911 and SARS and and, uh, some of the other previous events leading uh, uh, an organization that's worth 4 million rooms a night, uh, a year rather. Um, We learned a lot about contracts and how to deal with crisis and and what the new terms are. So so we'll be exploring some of that during this discussion. Wonderful. And that's really the reason that I reached out to you because your firm has been so generous in helping associations pivot as a result of meeting cancellations. And even as we start thinking about what's next, there's probably more of those to come. Um, We're going to take this in two sides. We're going to talk about the face-to-face meeting side, and then we're going to talk about the virtual meeting side. So let's start with the face-to-face meetings. For those who are facing a cancellation decision for an upcoming meeting, Dave, what kinds of things should they be thinking about? Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things I read a few weeks ago that's really stuck with me is uh, we're all innocent victims. And um, I, I think that's a really important uh, phrase that that's uh, going to help drive you know decisions moving forward. Um, but you know, there's a lot of contracts that are in place, and and you know, associations have a duty to to try to fulfill their part of that contract. Um, but also, you know, hotels you know have a duty to uh, you know if it's not safe to, to let let the client off. Um, and you know, I think the big thing we realized we wrote up I write articles. Uh, I have a column in Canadian magazine for PCMA um, and uh, you know we wrote an article a few weeks ago and it really kind of predicted that hotels are going to have the worst year ever uh, it's uh, you know back then they were talking seven or eight times worse than 9-11 I think the latest I saw is, is nine times worse uh, than 9-11 and you know they're 
their occupancy in red cars going to be less than half of what they were predicting uh, at the beginning of the year. Um, so hotels are going to be hurt like like no one. And don't think these are big companies because a lot of times they're not. Uh, Marriott and Hilton only own one, less than 1% of their hotels uh, in North America. So while we think you know, we feel sorry for them. It's it's really a lot of you know the hotel ownership is very uh, very tra- uh, uh, fragmented. Uh, so so there's just a ton of smaller owners that uh, own these buildings, and you know th- there's a good chance that some of them aren't going to come back. But at at the end of the day, what we're recommending to our clients is you know um, the CDC you know kind of came up with a guideline a few weeks ago, which was um, you know no mass gatherings, I think, for more than 250 people for eight weeks. Uh, and that's like took us through the end of May um, at that time. And so we're telling most of our clients to use that eight-week window uh, for decisions and to actually, um, and to actually advertise or, or publicize uh, to be transparent and tell your members that you have contractual commitments and that you plan to make a decision on X date uh, and then provide regular updates, tell them you're going to update every two weeks and do it. They'll keep your promise. Um, it's, it's kind of a big uh, thing we've been telling all of our clients. So that means, you know, your fall meeting in October, um, you know, you probably should be making an announcement that you're not going to make a decision until August because you do have, if you cancel an agreement now for October, you probably are going to have liability. We're, we're hearing about people that are canceling and negotiating to only pay 25% penalties. Um, and, and then they're also rebooking. And we would recommend nobody agrees to any penalty right now um, uh, that you, you know, you basically, nobody knows what's going to happen, but I think, you know, most people think we're going to be in this for a while. Um, but, you know, associations do have a obligation to try to fulfill their end of the bargain. Um, but, you know, I think if they use that two, two month window, they're going to be able to make decisions with hopefully with no liability. Dave, you mentioned keeping members apprised of when you plan to make a decision. Is that decision date different for every association based on when their meeting is or are, are you routinely recommending a date X and such? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're triggering off the arrival date of the meeting or the start date. So eight weeks before that is kind of the window we're recommending. Um, we've had some of our clients, very large associations, very large meetings, literally get hate mail for not canceling three months out. And, you know, there's millions and millions of dollars of contracts. And, you know, at some uh, there's going to be lawsuits at some point and, and awards given. And, you know, I think you, you have a duty to try to hold up to your end of the bargain, but obviously not to do something stupid, um, you know. But already there are cities like LA, I think, that are potentially not doing the you know, saying that there's no mass gatherings for the rest of the year and stuff. So there's a lot of, but nobody knows. Nobody knows. But we're, I think, we're assuming the worst right now. It's that uncertainty, I think, that's making it very difficult. Uh, everyone that I've talked to wants to make the best decision possible, but there are so many unknown factors and so many different things at play that it's that it's hard to do it with a high level of confidence. You made a great point about 
hotels in that we have a tendency to think that the, the market is really owned by larger corporations. But thank you for pointing out that that's not true, because I, I think that really plays into my next question, which is, uh, in, for those that are in conversation with meeting partners, whether it be a hotel or a sponsor, you know, what's fair in terms of postponement or cancellation? Well, um, you know, I think a lot of a lot of the conversations that we're hearing about, you know, for for meetings that you know were had to be moved in March, April, May, which is pretty much all of them. Uh, you know, a lot of times they are trying to award the hotel a future year, uh, so that's been good. Um, and hotels have been uh, have been really good working with uh, with people because they know we're all innocent victims, you know, and and this. This is is that, but I think what you know, you hear a lot about U.S. travel, and then you know, let's bail out the hotels and all this. And I think one of our big issues is if the associations don't recover, and the hotels are, aren't aren't going to recover. So it's a chicken and egg thing, and we happen to think that the the meeting owners or organizers, um, you know. These uh, these are serious money issues, um, and uh, there's associations that are going to go underwater um, or go out of business because of this. And uh, you know, I think the 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 order of recovery is really important because you know, with a lot of larger hotels, over half fifty percent of their business is group, um, and you know, when those groups can't perform and they can't come back strong. Um, you know, they're going to suffer, the hotels are going to recover anyway. Um, so it's, we've gone literally overnight from one of the best, the best seller market ever to the best buyer market ever. So, you know, contracts that have been signed long ago are going to have revised terms. Um, you know, you're just not going to be able to charge, you know, $275 to be at the high Chicago in, in the fall. It's just not, it doesn't matter, you know, the rate's going to have to come down so people can fulfill their blocks uh, or come even close. So all the penalties, all the contracts are going to be thrown out the window eventually. Nobody, no, nobody's admitting that yet, though. Um, you know, hotels aren't giving that away yet, uh, but they, they have to. It's really a sobering conversation because on, on one half, reality sets in, and we know that things are going to be different moving forward. Uh, on the other side of the equation, I've heard some people really excited about the acceleration to virtual because we've talked about virtual for a long time, but we just haven't had a push for it. Um, I know that neither one of you have a crystal ball, but do you have any ideas or suggestions as to when you think face-to-face -face meetings will be back? And or how far into the future should associations be thinking? I know that some of it is dependent, like you mentioned LA, They've pretty much said no big gatherings uh, for a while. And so that's a particular guideline put into a particular place. But if I'm trying to make a broader decision, I'd love to hear from both of you on, on what you think or what you're discussing internally or even what you're hearing from your clients. I don't think anybody's working more than six months out right now. Um, you know, I, I don't think it makes sense to do that until we know more. You know, obviously we, 
you know, we feel a little bit better when people start talking about reopening and that we're on the other side of whatever curve we're on. But, you know, I, I you know, I think for the most part, most of our clients, uh, it's really hard for them to think beyond six months right now. And so, you know, you shouldn't be signing new contracts. You shouldn't, you know, I think you really just have your contingency plans on how to get through 2020 and start working on 21 and when you're able. Um, and, I think it's- you know, Go ahead, sir. I was just going to say, I think it also depends on the size too, Mary, because um, we're definitely seeing some of our smaller associations where their meetings, um, you know, were more like the thousand uh, attendees. Those are those are starting to kind of think more hybrid um, approach to what's going to happen. I, I think at this point we will become a hybrid every face-to-face is gonna have some type of virtual, then that, that has to happen. And you you mentioned silver lining. I think that's a silver lining. We've been trying to get our clients to think about virtual for a long time and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of, we'll put that off. Well, now we can't put it off. And moving forward, there will always be, every face-to-face will have some type, some type of a virtual component to it. They just have to. And I so I think some of the smaller meetings are getting a little more confident about um, knowing that they're going to have a smaller draw, um, le- you know, maybe less than 500 that show up face to face and potentially double that virtually. And so, um, you know, we have one that pulled off that pivoted to virtual. They were supposed to be the end of April and they were registered um, a sellout at 1200 and then they went virtual and went up to 1350. Um, and kept pretty much all the registra- all the registrations and then brought some more in. So they, you know, we're, we're seeing some of those great stories. So the really, really large meetings, you know, the more than 5,000, that's tough to say when that's going to be coming back. But if you happen to be a smaller association that are around that 1,000 sweet spot, I think your chances of coming back sooner are higher. When you talk about the hybrid, though, it usually is contingent based on a face-to-face model, and then you are capturing content or live streaming. What about people being comfortable coming back? You, as an association, might plan to have a hybrid meeting, and you might decide you want to have a face-to-face aspect of it, but how can associations really determine what they're you know what the comfort level of of members is there's you know there's i've been seeing on a lot of listservs and we've had some discussions with some of our clients about well why don't we just survey our members on whether or not they're going to come to our october conference and i think that's a terrible idea why because you know right now your members aren't thinking about you in october you know they're thinking about how are they going to get through the next 60 days so you know whatever they tell you today doesn't matter. So you definitely need to be talking to your members and understanding what their situation is and making plans on how to help them, whether it's at your annual meeting or otherwise. Um, But now is not the time to say, will you come to Minneapolis in October uh, in a survey? Um, So, you know, really kind of surprised that more, uh, you know, more should do that. So let's say that associations decide to move forward with a, a virtual or a hybrid, either or. Um, and let's talk about virtual meetings. And Sarah, I know this is your area of specialty. And I'm glad Dave mentioned your, your CSP, your Certified Speaking Professional designation, because um, uh, 
I'm one too, and I just love to see fellow CSPers out there. So uh, really, really uh, happy to, to hear your input from that standpoint too. But I'm hearing from many people that they're having a hard time engaging virtual event producers because they are being overwhelmed with associations looking for a partner. So let's start with some advice right now. If I'm an association that is thinking about adding a virtual to an event in the fall, what would you suggest? Well, you know, definitely if you, um, if you're a large meeting, I mean, some of the, there's a very small percentage of players, right, that can really handle the really large um, ones and they're overwhelmed. But we are seeing um, some really creative, uh, I mean, everybody's coming to the table with solutions right now and we're seeing some new ones emerge that are, um, you know, we don't have, they don't have a great track record. They're kind of getting into it. Um, but we've, we've done a couple demos that have really impressed us. But the other thing we're really recommending is, to go to your existing contracts, you know, go to go to who's already been working with you, who you already have a contract with, whoever your mobile app is, um, and a lot of times um, they're coming up. They already are in play and have solutions that they were getting ready to launch near you know Q4 of 20, and now they're ready to go with it. So we've seen a couple of that really emerge with with current relationships that associations had. Um, and uh, they're, they're coming to the table really creatively. So I think I would start with who you already have a relationship with, get on the phone and find out if they have a solution that might work for you um, for virtual. Great advice. Um, I also heard from somebody the other day that they didn't feel like they needed a partner. And I, that, that sort of raised my eyebrows. It made me a little nervous, but, but this isn't my strength or my forte. So maybe it's, it's that they've got the internal capability or they have a learning management system. Uh, is it necessary to have a partner, do you think? Most of the time, I think it is. I mean, most of the conversations we're in with our customers, they're, they're kind of planning on a, they're, they're, they're doing contingency planning. And so they're, they're planning to be uh, hybrid and then they're you know, making sure that those same solutions can go all virtual. Um, and so I think that's really kind of emerging as a good uh, way of contingency planning. I think Sarah's exactly right. We had, you know, one of our clients, 15,000 person annual meeting for August, obviously probably not going to happen. Uh, the, where they're having the meeting, uh, you know, that, I was thinking it was in Chicago, but it's not. But, um, uh, but so 15,000 people. And we told them just go straight to this company, what the leading vir you know, virtual company in the association space. Um, you know, we just don't mess around with anyone else because the, these guys know their stuff better than anyone. And they, they, can't, they don't have the bandwidth to even talk to them. 15,000 people. So yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what's being, you know, that, yeah, and so there's all kinds of solutions coming up and service exactly right. I mean, we're, every time we're, we've never recommended the same thing to any one client, you know, because we're, we're learning what AD company they work with, what abstract management company, what registration company, what mobile webinar app. platform or LMS they use, what mobile app. And, and a lot of those, uh, a lot of those solutions are, you know, potentially part of their answer. I was on the phone with a client today that was talking about needing contingency plans for the contingency planning. <laughs> 
And I'm guessing you're seeing a little bit about that as well. You want to speak to that? What kinds of things people are thinking about? Yeah, I, I mean, I think what, what we're dealing with most right now are fall events. I mean, meetings mostly happen in the spring and the fall. And um, so, uh, you know, it, we started having conversation a few weeks ago with some of our large customers in the fall. And, you know, the conversations have changed, um, you know, but... I, th I think there's just, there's so much uncertainty and there's so much, there's also opportunity. Um, so, you know, sometimes what we're looking at with some customers is what other associations are, are uh, well, you know, there's other associations that can't have their event or have postponed more than once and, uh, or a competitor and how, how, how do you react to that? And, you know, is there an opportunity to come together uh, like unlikely allies, right, is, is one of the conversations we've been having with some of our larger uh, clients or, you know, are there partnerships that should be formed? And I think that's what, you know, what the silver lining of all this should be is, you know, what, how can we look for a new opportunity? Um, you know, don't waste the good crisis is a lot of the conversations we end up having, you know, as, as you get up above the, you know, the meeting professional level. So I like how you've married opportunity with uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And I like to say that collaboration is the new currency. Yeah. <laughs> and I really think that is one of the things that we are going to see accelerate here in reaching out because Sometimes you can go further faster with a partner than yeah. you could on your own. This concludes the first part of my interview with Dave and Sarah. Be sure to tune in on the next episode where we talk about how you can make virtual meetings memorable and engaging on a highly reduced budget. Thanks for joining today. I'm Mary Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today.